Good morning. Invite you to open your Bible to Luke's Gospel and the second chapter. Luke chapter 2. So for our Advent time in anticipation of Christmas Day, we have been uh, examining Luke's gospel and studying the, the songs that appear in his account of uh, the birth and the events surrounding uh, Jesus' birth. So we've captured a few songs. We've covered Mary's song and Zachariah's song. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at God's word and study this song of the angelic host to the shepherds in announcing the birth of Jesus the Savior. So in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read from 8 down to 20. Let's read God's holy and authoritative word together this morning, church. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day In the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning for his people. January 30th, 1969, the tremendously popular rock band, The Beatles, performed an impromptu concert on the rooftop of their recording studio. 
There were a few onlookers who happened to be on their lunch breaks, and as word of the concert got out, more crowds gathered on other buildings to watch this band play what would be their last public appearance. It is a performance that has been marked in music history, an iconic performance. July 13th, 1985, a fundraising effort was made called Live Aid, in which numbers of band gathered in various locations throughout the world, and at one location, Wembley Stadium in London, a crowd of some 72,000 gathered. And at the headline of this live performance was the band Queen, performing their hits like Bohemian Rhapsody and We Are the Champions. This live performance is regarded by many as one of the greatest in rock and roll history. In 1991, at the Toshino Airfield in Moscow, there was a gathering of the world's best heavy metal bands. And at the headline of this gathering, Metallica threw down one of the most iconic rock performances in front of an estimated 1.6 million in attendance. On July 31st, 1993, Michael Jackson catapulted the Super Bowl halftime show to a height that had never before been seen. All these live performances, whether you like those bands or those performers or not, they have marked music history. They have gone down as iconic and monumental. They stand out because of the the mix of those who were performing, the context of the performance, the content of the musical uh, things that were being performed, and the audience who witnessed them. Iconic performances that have been talked about and rehearsed and looked at over and over again. Ones that have left the audience amazed and stunned and telling others about them. But there is another live performance that's even more historic than these. Another live performance that's even more amazing. One that that stands out in history because of the performers and the venue, yes. Because of the unique audience, certainly. But even more, this iconic live performance recorded for us in Luke's gospel stands out more than all of the others because of who it is about. This live performance of the angelic host is meant to mark us with amazement and wonder and worship. It is a performance that is not only meant to amaze us and bring us to the point of wanting to tell others about us, but a performance that will transform those who are ready to hear it. You see, this text, recorded for us by the gospel writer, it records the realities of events surrounding 
the most historic and monumental event in history. The birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is, is meant to transform those who are ready to hear and receive of this good news. Luke records these things not just to tell a wonderful story. No, he tells us in the beginning of this gospel, in chapter 1, verse 4, that these things are recorded so that we would have certainty. Certainty of these events. The heavenly song of the angels to the lowly shepherds is to be a a living illustration of the great realities that are taking place. The glories of heaven break forth in a humble setting of the fields of the shepherd and they reveal something of the identity of the one who is being sung about. This is meant to impact us. This is meant to amaze us. This is meant to leave us in awe and in wonder. And it is meant to change us. Our main point from this text is this. The only appropriate response to the birth of the Savior is to live a life of wonder and worship. That is the only appropriate response. A life transformed into a life of wonder and worship. And so we're going to have the privilege to look at God's word this morning and unpack what that means for us in our lives. And we're going to do that first by looking at this text, the performance that is before us. The angels come and give an announcement to the shepherds. Look at verse 11 with me. The angel comes and says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This day, just as those performances I mentioned at the beginning were marked by dates and times and venues, so is this one. This is not just a story like a make-believe once upon a time. Luke records for us in a day, in a place, in a city, these events happened. A city that is real, a city that stands today, a place you can go and see. This is where this happens. A particular place with the events that happen and the implications of such a birth that is like no other. What do these angels come to announce? They come to announce the birth of a Savior, and as this angel announces this to the shepherds, heaven can't hold back. And accompanying the announcing angel is a heavenly host Praising God. Now consider this. In all of those performances that I mentioned before, there are large crowds watching a few performing. But here, in this account, we have the opposite. Just a few, a handful of men 
just doing their job through the night and then a large crowd of performers. This phrase that we have in verse 13, this multitude of the heavenly host is an uncounted number of an angel army that cannot hold back but to accompany the announcement of the birth of Jesus with loud praise from heaven. There is glory to be sung about, to be announced, to be expounded and sung by an angel army. An angel army that comes to announce it to a bunch of shepherds. Now, we, we can miss this because we miss some of the context of what a shepherd was in the first century. For the original readers of this text to pick up Luke's account of the life of Jesus and to then read that in the region there were shepherds and an angel came to them, there would be shock and stun and he must be confused. Certainly not shepherds. These men who were, who were the lowest of society considered outcasts from the rest, not, not really welcome in social gatherings, not welcome into temple courts. The outcasts of society are the ones who receive the announcement that changes history, accompanied by an angel army singing before them of the glories that are taking place. See, it's, it's, not to, it's not to the elite, it's not to the most beautiful, it's not to the most wealthy, it's not to the most powerful that this announcement comes, but it comes to the outcasts. And here's the point. The point is not that the lowest of the low are the ones worthy of receiving the good news. No. The point is, the whole world is outcasts. The whole world is unworthy. The whole world is undeserving. And so God, in his sovereign initiative, decides to send an angel army to the lowest of the low, to the outcasts, as a, a parable, an illustration that the glories of heaven are coming to those who don't deserve. It sends a clear message to us all that this, this good news of great joy, we don't deserve. And God decides to bring it in such a way, a historic performance of these angels. And what do they sing? They sing about glory and peace. Glory. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. The, the initiative of God to send the second person of the Trinity to become a human being, to step into the creation is an act of mercy and love and grace that deserves nothing but him to be glorified. 
to announce that God is worthy of glory, glory in the highest. The things that are happening are God-glorifying realities. This is a picture of what is happening. The exalted praise of the angels unto God is, is breaking out in glory to him before an unnamed field outside of a by-the-way town to a group of unknown outcasts. It's this picture of irony, of wonderful irony, of good news, of great joy. And it's highlighted by this announcement of glory to God. Glory to God and, and peace on earth. On earth, peace is announced along with this exaltation of God to demonstrate and to make clear the reason for such a loud and fear-inducing performance. Peace is announced. We must see that the, the first thoughts of this audience to receive this announcement accompanied by this live performance, the first thoughts in their head had to be an utter doom. When this angel appears to them in the middle of the night, the very first words out of the angelic host in verse 10 is, fear not. Fear not. Because peace is coming to the earth. What kind of peace? We see the words about the announcement of the birth bring peace on earth. We hear about this. We read about it in this time throughout this, this portion of the year that Jesus comes and in his birth is an announcement of peace on earth. And at the same time, our week is, is peppered with headlines that speak otherwise, is it not? Of conflict and strife and sorrow and suffering and difficulties Abroad and near, we have brokenness in our own relationships. We have difficulty in our own circumstances. We have unrest in our own hearts. And we can see this song of peace and think that that would be nice. But it doesn't quite feel like that. What is this angelic announcement of peace all about when the, the circumstances and the experience of life often speak differently. We fail to see the, the truth of, of this peace delivered through the birth of this child when, when we are looking merely at circumstantial peace. You see, we are so, so filled with, a, with an idea of peace on a horizontal plane. And, and sometimes that horizontal plane doesn't even get outside of our own selves. We want peace on this level. We want peace in ourselves. And, and we fail to see the reality of what is being announced here is this, this outbreak of song and celebration because peace is coming and peace is coming on a vertical plane. 
The announcement of, of born this day in the city of David, a savior, is an announcement of good news and great joy because peace has come to the earth to reconcile broken relationship with the one who has made us. The peace that is announced is a peace of vertical reconciliation. The second person of the Trinity became flesh in order to to reconcile sinners, rebels, unto a holy God. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, Paul says, that, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the, word, the world unto himself. In Christ, God was making peace with himself. And rebels. Reconciling sinners to a holy God comes through the birth of the Prince of Peace. Which is why here in this text, Luke, Luke is echoing the words of the prophet Isaiah spoken so many years before. When Isaiah announced prophetically that to us, a child is born, a son is given. The government, the rule, shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Luke echoes those words saying, here it is, the entrance of the prince of peace, the entrance of his governing rule of peace that will have no end. This peace of reconciling sinners to a holy God, this vertical peace of man with his maker. But here's what we need to know of this peace. This peace that is brought through the Prince of Peace to reconcile the broken vertical relationship that we have with our maker. This vertical peace is the peace, the only peace that can have any effect on this horizontal unrest. We make the mistake of setting aside the eternal realities of Jesus becoming a man to settle vertical unrest and thereby making peace with God when we set that aside and try to find horizontal peace without it. That is the peace that can bring a reconciling work to all of the unrest we find on this plane. The unrest you have in relationships, the strife we see in the world, the, the unrest we have even in our own hearts when we look in the mirror and we're not really happy with what we see. 
we cannot go looking for peace somewhere else because the Prince of Peace has come. And in this vertical peace of rebels, of outcasts being brought into relationship with the one they were made for is the peace that settles all other unrest. So I ask a question this morning. Do you need peace? Are you experiencing any unrest in your life, relationships with others, with how you view your, yourself, with the brokenness that you see around you? There is peace available to satisfy and be a balm to the unrest of your soul. It's the baby in the manger. It's glory to God in the highest and peace has come on earth. It's a peace we can know. Peace for the sufferings of this life is found in this same place. And glory is to be announced to God because glory to God and peace on earth, they go together. They go together. Now, who is this peace for? The second part of verse 14. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Prince of Peace coming from heaven, taking on flesh. Peace coming down from God to us. This relational restoration that is brought about by Jesus taking on flesh and God getting the glory is for those with whom he is pleased. Now, we have to be careful and understand these words. This is not the biblical version of the naughty and nice list. It doesn't say peace for those who have earned it. It doesn't say even peace for those who believe in Jesus but think they need to keep doing other things to make themselves right with God. The language may, may be better laid out for peace for those of, of his good pleasure. It's the peace that comes from God to earth for, for those with whom his good pleasure is laid upon. Those who are, who are his, who are his people, who are the ones that he finds pleasure. It is this statement declaring that God's peace is a, is a favor bestowed on those who have received the Prince of Peace. It's not about those who have earned it. The rest of the New Testament makes this so clear that peace doesn't come from our ability to be worthy, our ability to work hard enough, our ability to do enough things that God would find pleasure in us. Peace comes from the prince. 
and receiving him alone. John puts it this way in his beginning of his gospel of Jesus, the word, becoming flesh. John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, means they couldn't earn it, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see what's going on here? Those who receive this peace come down from heaven are those who receive the Prince of Peace, who believe in his name. Faith in Emmanuel. Faith in the one born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Believing, faith, trusting in, relying on, holding fast to, I know the reality of these things is Jesus come and there is nothing in me worthy to receive it, nothing I can do to earn it. I must just take the Prince of Peace. Believe and trust and bank my life on it. Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Not by our works, not by our worthiness. No, justified by faith. We have what? Peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the marvelous mercy of God? Do you see the wonder of grace? Grace, undeserved favor. Christmas is about the marvelous mercy of God giving peace to those who will receive it. And then we can live in it. I hope we're beginning to see why, why the heavens could not hold back the doors from the angel army breaking forth in a live concert. Because of what's going down here in this record that Luke has for us, this announcement has to be sung about. It is a wonder of the marvelous mercy of God. And it, it, illustrates, it illustrates for us the doctrinal realities of what's taking place. The truth of what is being proclaimed. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute. What do we mean when we say that the second person of the Godhead became a man? Or what has been known throughout church history as the incarnation? What does that actually mean? Because in order for us to, to, to live a life of wonder and worship, we need to think and grasp this reality of what truth is telling us here. The doctrine of the incarnation, it, it, it is here in such compact detail. If you look at verse 11, Luke makes so clear the divinity of the identity of the one being born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, anointed one, chosen one, the Lord. The divinity of the baby 
is clear in this pronouncement. And then right in verse 12, we see the humanity of this one being illustrated. This will be a sign for you. What will you find? Not a king on a throne, not one accompanied by chariots and flames of fire. No, you will find just a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Skin, hair, eyes, crying, a baby, fully human, before them. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became flesh. This does not mean that the second person of the Godhead took on the appearance of mankind. It's not, it's not just the appearance of looking like a man. Jesus is not a human hologram. No, he is truly incarnate. That Latin phrase, you think carne, right? Carne, meat, flesh. In, he, it's this, this idea that, that he is coming in flesh. It's the infleshing of the second person of the Trinity. Taking upon himself humanity in its fullness. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The doctrine of the incarnation is not that the divine nature and the human nature formed a new person. No, not at all. Rather, the person of the Son took onto himself human nature. Therefore, in no way does this doctrine of Scripture teach that God has changed. God is immutable. The second of the person second person of the Trinity has not changed in personality. Rather, the second person took on the eternal divine nature, the human nature eternally. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. There was a change in form in which he appeared. There was a change in the state in which he manifested himself. But there was no change in his personality. He is the same person always. In the womb of the Virgin Mary and lying as a helpless babe in the manger, he is still the second person in the Holy Trinity. There's a Christmas song that captures this well. The lyrics say it this way, if I can remember. And as he lays upon the hay, he holds the moon and stars in place. The divine reality and nature eternally existed, second person of the Trinity, took on human nature, eternally joining himself with humanity. When we say that he took on human nature, we are not saying that he merely appeared to look like a man. We're saying he took it upon himself and that has significant implications. Taking on himself, the son of God, taking the title of the son of man is this marvelous act 
of uniting himself with those who would be saved by him. See, the good news of great joy is Jesus himself taking on flesh because that is the reality of the work of salvation, which is why the announcement of him being born is accompanied with the announcement that he is the Savior. He cannot save without being born. Without the infleshing of Jesus, there's no perfect obedience lived out. Without the infleshing of Jesus, there's no life of righteousness applied to the believer. Without the infleshing of Jesus, there is no sympathizer to all of our weaknesses. Without this, there is no body to bear our sin. There is no blood to be spilled for the propitiation of our guilt. There are no hands to be pierced. There is no life to be spent. There is no breath to be breathed out last. And there is no body to be missing from the tomb. The incarnation is the marvelous work of God saving sinners. We sung this earlier. Charles Wesley captures it this way. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. This is the wonder of Christmas. This is the wonder of the second person of the Trinity taking on humanity. God coming to outcasts to bring them into relationship with him. Wesley continues, hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild. He lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Without this birth, we have no hope, no way to be reconciled. The effect of the incarnation is this accomplishing work of the gospel to save sinners and bring them into relationship with God. So what do we do with this? How do we respond to these realities? Let me give you three ways to respond. We want to ponder it, we want to proclaim it, and we want to praise Let's look at this. Ponder. Look at verses 18 and 19. When this announcement after this concert happens and the angels run, or the the shepherds run to announce it and to see it, all who heard it, what did they do? They wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
And Mary herself, she, she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. We are meant to read these words, which, which can, we admit, can become so familiar, but may their familiarity on us not lose their wonder. We are to ponder this truth. Ponder it's, is not just to, it's not simply like aimless thoughts when we're bored. To ponder is to consider deeply, to process, to linger in thought, seeking to understand. Listen, this announcement, this reality of Jesus become flesh is a marvelous mystery at which we can never exhaust in comprehension. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We should ponder this. Go through a process of studying it, thinking about it, engaging the mind. Do you know that you were designed to ponder? You were uniquely made out of all creation, hardwired by the infinite plan of God to be the creatures capable of wonder and ponder, unlike the rest of all creation. To, to think about existential realities, to think about divine truth that shapes and changes all of history and transforms your very life. We were made to wonder. We were made to ponder. It is part of being in the image of God. We were made to think about these things, learn these things, and see how they affect and change our hearts. And here's the reality. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you, like me, can be very distracted. We are very distracted. We are far too easily lulled into distracted, unthinking states of being. Have you ever been in one of those? Where you look up at the clock and you go, what just happened? <laughs> Hours pass by. What was I doing? We don't even know what we were thinking about. So distracted by Life and entertainment and the experiences around us, we lose track of time, we get distracted by all of these things, and we fail and miss opportunity to ponder marvelous realities, meant to change us, meant to transform us. We must see that we have been equipped with the capacity to ponder these things. And the, the, the entertainment of the day is... Doesn't even, I can't even put it in the same sentence of comparison. To take a few minutes away from scrolling, to think about what the reality of God becoming a man means for me, it's worth it. So here's what you do. You plan for it. Have you ever planned to ponder? You should. You should plan it for today. You should plan it for this week. If you're like me, you might need to put that on your calendar. Set a reminder. Hey Siri, 
Tuesday? No, stop. (laughs) We should plan to ponder these things because God has given them to us as revelation meant to transform. See, the Christian life is not a life of grabbing a few truths to put in our pockets that this is the truths that we hold to. No, the Christian life is a transforming life, an ever-changing life. The Christian is ever on a path of change, change by truth. The revelations of the eternal realities of truth given to us by God are meant to be pondered and wondered and stand in amazement of to change us more to be like him and to live for him. Which is why our main point is not that we are to wonder and worship. No, we are to live a life of wonder and worship. So plan to ponder this week. Think about the implications of the incarnation for you. And we are meant to be those who proclaim. We have recorded for us that the shepherds, when they heard this angelic song from the angel army, they, they did not slowly walk. They ran to see and to tell. The great things that we receive from the truth of God's word are meant to be pondered and then proclaimed. We're meant to share this good news. Listen, the world needs good news. Your neighbors need great joy. The lost ones in your life are lost because they are looking for peace here and it's found here and you have the news that can bring it to them. Go and tell who in your life this week needs to be introduced to the Prince of Peace. You don't have it all figured out. You just know where to find the answer. So we are to proclaim. And this inevitably leads us to praise him. Notice in verse 20, what the shepherds do after seeing and sharing these things. They return Where do they go? Just back to their life. They return glorifying and praising God. Listen, church, God has given us this wonderful rhythm of life together where we get to gather once a week, hear and ponder the truths and the realities of God, and then return. But what do we do when we return to life? We go praising and glorifying God for all that we have heard and seen. We live lives of praise. We join the choir of the angels. And this doesn't mean that we just go into like Monday morning, you're in a staff meeting at work and you're like, let me tell you about good news of great joy. And you start singing in the middle of that meeting. It doesn't mean just that, although you could. A life of worship, a life of praise is just marking that God is of infinite value in every moment. Therefore, I will walk in obedience and thankfulness and joy and peace in all the ways he calls me to live. You can sing too. Walk in the worship of obedience to the God who is worthy of it. The incarnation 
is about the glory of God and peace to the earth. And therefore, the only appropriate response to the birth of the Savior is to live a life of wonder and worship. May we do that. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for truth in your word. We thank you for the reality of your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that you have not given us what we deserve, but instead you have given us the Prince of Peace. You have given us a Savior born in a city that we may know him and receive him. Oh, I pray for all of us this morning that we would receive this one in fullness and that it would affect us and change us, that our lives would be unto you sacrifices of praise and wonder and worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.